0: Log Talk Radio. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to another official Redbird Rants podcast episode. I am going to be your host tonight. My name is Tito Rivera, and I am joined by contributor Dan Campbell. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm suffering, though, because of Deshaun Watson's injury. My fantasy football team is uh, probably not going to make the playoffs because of this. So. Uh, I'm, I think I'm going to go in uh, seller mode here. What do you think?
1: Well, hey, as two of my top three fantasy football picks were Aaron Rodgers and Odell Beckham Jr., I feel your pain. Yeah. Okay.
0: That that make, that makes me feel not so bad
1: actually. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> we we should be joined by Nathan here in a little bit. He's he's just running a tad bit behind, but we're going to go ahead and get started, and we've got a really great episode tonight. Um, it's it's finally the off-season, Dan, and I think you and I and the rest of the Redbird Rants writers are, are definitely excited to see what's going to happen with the St. Louis Cardinals over the next, you know, pretty much two, three months before the next season starts. But before we do that, I do want to take some time to reflect on the playoffs this year, and I want to get your reaction on how you thought the World Series ended and... Were you satisfied? So, Dan, let's let's hear your thoughts.
1: I'll tell you what a great World Series. Um, this is the first time, really, since last year that I watched a non-Cardinals World Series with a heightened level of interest. Last year, as many of the listeners I'm sure can relate to, I was converted into a Cleveland Indians fan out of my pure hatred for the Chicago Cubs, and I watched that seven-game series like an addict. I mean it was it was incredible. I was just glued to the screen. And for a guy who has absolutely no interest in either of the teams that were in the World Series this year, i was I was watching almost with the same tenacity, and I just the back and forth of all the games, the quality uh, at times of the pitchers on both sides, and constantly of the hitters on both sides. It was impressive. The the games were compelling, the storylines were great. You you know, you you kind of had two teams a lot of people I think thought of as like a David and Goliath type story. I particularly think that both teams are equally hateable. You have a team that bought their way to the World Series, spending more money than anyone else, and then you have a team who tanks their way to the World Series, putting their fans through a disaster of Five plus years of like a hundred losses per year, so both teams were kind of hateable. But man, were they evenly matched, and that came through. So it was good TV. It was good for baseball. Uh, the ratings outranked Sunday Night Football again this year, like last year. So I think it's a win for baseball. And anybody who watched, I think, had to be entertained. But I'm interested to hear what you thought about it. Yeah. So this is this might come to a bit of a shock for you. I actually.
0: Watched the World Series for a grand total of about one hour, and I'll tell you why. Much like what you were saying, that you don't really have an interest in either the Dodgers or the Astros, and that is the same. That's the same for me. I don't care for the Dodgers. I I don't like them, um, and maybe it's because of the you know you know recent playoff history between the the Dodgers and the Cardinals. Um, And the Astros, you know, I just, they were so bad for so long that I just don't really, you know, care about them. Um, And the only reason I care about certain parts, you know, players in the Astros is because they're Puerto Rican. (laughs) So, but even then, I did, I watched maybe an hour of baseball during the World Series. And I just was not... Captivated. Now, don't get me wrong. I know they were good games, and I know it was a great World Series. My dad and I talked about it today. But there was just something holding me back from really just being invested. And, and, and I think the way my dad put it is that he thinks that I was just too invested in the Cardinals, that when they didn't make it, my entire postseason was just ruined. And that's probably the case. I feel like maybe I just was so invested, um mainly because we're you know we were doing so much writing, leading up to it, speculation leading up to it that it just it just ruined it for me, and I just didn't really care i mean i I barely watched the playoffs, Dan, and that's very surprising because I was like, you, I watched last year's World Series like no other. But I just couldn't bring myself to do it this year. And I don't even feel bad about it. Um, I know it was a great postseason. The games are great. The teams that were in it deserve to be in it. And I, I, I will disagree with you in one slide. I don't think it was a David versus Goliath kind of feel. I just think it was more of like, a, hey, you've got the Hollywood people in the Dodgers. You've got big show, big, show, big time stuff. And then you've got a city that just went through Hurricane Harvey and dealing with the aftermath of that and, and and seeing what that city has gone through only you know ultimately for them to win that World Series. I mean, you really can't ask for a better ending, and, and it reminds me, and I'm sure you would agree with this um, it reminds me of when the New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl post Hurricane Katrina. Absolutely. And so I know I I know it was a great World Series and it's it just I wasn't there
1: mentally I guess you know do, would you would you find that hard to believe? You know it's a good point and I guess a little perspective on why I found it so enjoyable or why I tuned in in the first place and and then ended up enjoying the games because of how competitive they were. I really tuned in selfishly as a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And what I mean by that is there are several players on both teams whose stock I care about, you know, Yu Darvish is probably the hottest free agent pitcher uh, th- this off season. He's going to be bandied about a lot. I think, you know, the, the latest prediction by MLB trade rumors was that he's going to net a six year, $160 million contract, almost 30 million bucks a year with the Cubs. So I watched the World Series with an eye towards what is going to happen with these players' stock come the off-season. Is there any hidden gem on one of these rosters that would be a guy that the Cardinals can sweep in and sign, or someone with whom they can make a big splash? I wanted to see if Clayton Kershaw would choke like he's continually yeah. done in the postseason, especially against our Cardinals. And lo and behold, he did choke in probably the most pivotal moment of the World Series for him. And credit to him, he admitted, I think he said in a quote today, maybe at some point I'll stop sucking when it matters or something like that. Yeah, I'll I'll stop failing. I'll stop failing. I'll stop failing. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, accuracy is important whenever you're talking about mediocrity. So, (laughs) you know, I I was really looking at at it with an eye towards, man, Yassiel Puig couldn't have been given away this last off season. And he was Mm -hmm. monumental for the Dodgers. Uh, You know, Chris Taylor, they got for a bucket of peanuts and a couple of tickets to like movie premieres. And he was their MVP other than Justin Turner, who by the way, they also signed at a cheap rate because nobody apparently wanted him. I think they got him for four years, 64 million. But you know, there are a lot of guys like the Brendan Moros of the world, uh, maybe even a Hugh Darvish, or a couple of the other relievers like a Luke Gregerson who are going to be free agents. And I thought, man, i got to see what these guys are doing and see if this affects their price so I can write about it this offseason. Sure,
0: yeah. And you do bring up a great point in looking at those players and, and who has the biggest interest for the Cardinals, I, I do want to go back to that quote of Clayton Kershaw, because um, I can't remember one of our writers recently wrote about. I think it might have been Christian who wrote about uh, Clayton Kershaw's struggles against the Cardinals. You know that has been well documented, especially in the postseason. I should say, regular season it's a different story. When I when I saw that quote today, I personally thought he was being too hard on himself. I mean, this guy is arguably the best pitcher in baseball. You know, maybe you could you could throw in an argument for Chris Sale, Max Scherzer, and Clayton Kershaw. In my opinion, and for him to say, you know, maybe I'll there will be a time where I, you know, I won't fail. I think that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, the guy, he, one, he had never been to the World Series, and at the same time. You're asking him to pitch, you know, way more games than the regular season. So, I I don't know. I found that to be very, very strange. Um, And I'm not saying that he, you know, he he doesn't live for those moments. But, come on. Is that not a little too harsh on himself, Dan?
1: Well, you make a good point, and let let me hedge what I'm going to say by talking about the importance of context. And what I mean by that is, Clayton Kershaw is like an otherworldly type pitcher. He's like a generational talent. He's the pitching version of Mike Trout. No one's seen any left-hander like him since Koufax. I mean, and that's that's the comp that's always made. And he's a guy that goes out there and every season has an opportunity to put up a sub-two ERA and, you know, lead the league or be amongst the lead leaguers in strikeouts and whip and all of those things that people like to evaluate pitchers on. So that's the context. That's the bar he's created for his own performance. Now, when we go to the postseason – Other than the Cardinals, which he's particularly been bad against, other than maybe one good start, uh, which he lost, one nothing to Michael Walker, by the way. Uh, The guy has been good, above average even, but not great in the postseason. And so when he says maybe at some point in time I'll stop failing, what I hear him say is my expectations for myself are incredibly high. When I just pitch well, when I just pitch good and not great, I'm not meeting my own expectations. And the inability to meet my own expectations is a failure. So what I hear him saying is not sort of like objectively he's failing at everything. I hear him saying, I set a high bar for myself. And I met it in my first start in the World Series, and I didn't in my second. And I tried to make up for it in relief, and it wasn't enough. And that's not good enough because I'm Clayton Kershaw. I like that. That's that Tommy Pham chutzpah. That's that, like, attitude that you need to be the greatest player of your generation, at what you do. And so, you know, I liked that a lot. But And I don't think he was being too hard on himself because I think his expectations are are high and, and rightfully right. so. And,
0: I mean, it is the World Series, right? I mean – you're, you're doing the best you can to, to win this series, not throw it all the way. Well said. Uh, yeah, and and maybe maybe what I'm saying is it's not that he's being too hard on himself. I, I just think he cannot squarely put the entire blame on himself. I mean, what was it yesterday in Game 7? The Dodgers were, what, one for 25 with runners in scoring position, something like that? Terrible. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, that – Again, and this is something my dad and I talked about. You know, you look at this World Series, the pitching, starting pitching for both teams, pretty equal. I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't tip it one way or the other. Maybe Darvish, if you're going to be that nitpicky, but I, I don't think one particular team stood out in starting pitching. Bullpen, they both were, were kind of garbage, um, and I think that's more of the fatigue of getting to the World Series and, you know, just, you know, you're running out of gas. And and I think what it came down to is the Astros were just a better offensive team. (laughs) I mean, that's that's how I see it. I mean, you look at what they were able to do. I mean, George Springer had a series of a lifetime. You know, their entire lineup was good. Now, obviously, the Astros need Correa and Altuve to pace them, but when they did, they were they weren't going to be beat, it, and it, and that was just the case. And I, I and that's why I think the difference ended up being because look what happened to Cody Bellinger. Look what happens when you figure out how to pitch him. Then you could throw Cody Bellinger thirty five, you know, breaking balls low and inside, and he wouldn't hit a single one. I can almost guarantee it.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: And and kudos to the Astros for exploiting that. Um, And, and, you know, again, it just comes down to me, it just came down to that the Astros were the better team. I don't think that one was uh, underrated over the other. I think they both won over 100 games. So I I think it just showed that the Astros were just the better team in this series. Now, do I think the Dodgers could easily have beat them if there was another series? Sure. But there's only one series and the Astros it. And that's how I see it. I, I, I just, I can't let Clayton Kershaw put the entire blame on himself when the offense refused, refused to show up last night.
1: Well, a, a, a couple of points related to that, and then I'm sure we have other topics to talk about. Sure. But there, there are a few really good notes that support your point, and, and I happen to agree with you. So, first of all, you, Darvish, in two starts got a total of 10 outs.
0: Yeah, and his ER was like, what,
1: 21? Yeah, something. I'm sure it's ridiculous. Whatever it is, it's it's not helpful at all. Cody Bellinger struck out, I think it was uh, 1,700 times. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Too many times. (laughs) Okay? And what you saw is you saw a bunch of young players and even the veterans on the Dodgers team bailing out for the big home run rather than trying to shorten up and make contact when runners were in scoring position with less than two outs. And that's why they never moved anybody over, and they couldn't get those runs in, and they stranded so many runners. And someone said to me, Dan, did the Astros win this series, or did the Dodgers lose? And I usually hate that type of question. Yeah. I kind of thought, well, yes and no. And what I mean by that is I think the Dodgers were in enough control where they lost this series up to Game 7. So the Dodgers' actions made this series go to seven games because I think if they would have done all the right things, they could have closed this thing out uh, in, in six games. But when it got to game seven, what we saw is we saw one manager adjust and another one didn't. A.J. Hench, noting the problems with the bullpen on both sides, instead put multiple starters in. He used his starters in relief say, okay, the bullpen guys aren't getting it done, I can't trust them, fine, I'll use the starters. And the Dodgers did that a little bit, too, you know, by using Kershaw for four or five innings. But we saw a manager adjust, and that little bit of an advantage and the explosion of the offense in, against Darvish resulted in an epic Game 7 and a, a great comeback, great story from the Astros.
0: Absolutely, and and honestly, I can't. You know, I can't say it any better than that. So we are going to leave that right there. Great discussion, as always, with you, Dan. That was our World Series reaction. Astros do win it in seven games, so congratulations to the Houston Astros. And people are already claiming that they're going to be repeat champions, and honestly, they have the team to do it. But let's go ahead and let's take a quick break. You're listening to the official Redbird Grants podcast. Just stick with us. Welcome back to the official Redbird Rants podcast. I'm your host, Tito. I'm here with Dan Campbell, one of the Redbird Rants contributors. We just got done talking about the World Series and the Houston Astros taking it in seven games. We are now going to switch topics and get back to the St. Louis Cardinals because that's what we do. And, Dan, the offseason is finally here. Let's go through some of the quick stories that have surrounded the offseason so far for the St. Louis Cardinals. You've had the coaching changes. Uh, Derek Lilliquist and Blaze Isley are now gone, replaced with Mike Maddox and Bill Eversgard. Now you also have Jose Okendo coming back as third base coach, and Willie McGee, whose role is still undefined, but nonetheless he's still with the coaching staff, and John Mabry and obviously Mike Matheny are still there. Then you also have the next five days. What are the Cardinals going to do? They've got free agents that they probably need to sign or should sign. They also have some interesting decisions to make with some of the, you know, players under contract that may be in arbitration on what they might need to do. And, of course, we can't forget about the search for a big impact bat, and we can't forget about the search for a closer. And so let's go ahead and let's go ahead and dive into all of that tonight. And let's start, let's just do a little quick recap of what you think those, how those coaching changes worked out, Dan.
1: Well, I I think there's universal excitement for the coaching changes. uh, And I think that's appropriate. I have a little bit of a problem with people being excited about Mike Maddox, but only for one reason. Mozeliac came out and basically said, we want someone who's innovated with a, innovative with a new way of thinking, a new approach who really uses advanced analytics. And then they go and hire a guy who's basically just a guy who's been a pitching coach for the last 15 years. I mean, there's no evidence that Mike Maddox is some sort of guru with advanced metrics. Uh, so I don't like the hypocrisy of the bid and the ask and then the result. So, That's the first thing. The second thing is I thought it was interesting that the front office came out recently and said that Jose Oquendo's position back with the big league club opened up when Jay Bell left for the Giants position. And I thought that was interesting. I thought he would be back regardless of the role of the bench coach. And it makes me wonder, is Jose Oquendo going to have a more expanded role than just a third base coach? And I hope he does. That's exciting for me. But I think the the coaching moves are good. I hope that they add value in the form of better performance by the players and wins. It's hard to tell what value, if any, the coaching staff has or what impact they actually have. But uh, I'm encouraged by them. Uh, Interested to hear your take. Yeah, I think
0: you're kind of right on the money with, you know, some intrigue to the Mike Maddox hiring. And what I would say is, in response to what you're you're kind of getting at is sometimes you just can't beat experience. Um, I think maybe the Cardinals sure had Jim Hickey in mind and they really wanted him. Um, But maybe they just realized like, you know what? The Cubs are after him too. He's probably going to sign there. I'm not going to waste my time. And I'm going to go with the next best guy that we can find. And that just happened to be Mike Maddox. And, you know, this is a guy that's worked with Max Scherzer. He's worked with Hugh Darvish. He's worked with Cole Hamels. I mean, he's worked with some pretty high-profile pitchers that, you know, we as fans have come to see and and just, you know, rave about over the years. So, again, I I think 15 years of experience beats somebody that has no experience at all. Um, And maybe they, you know, there was talk about Bill Eversgird, you know, maybe – being the pitching coach, but again, I think the experience plays a huge factor for the Cardinals and so that's how I kind of I see that pitching coaching thing. And I'm not upset about it. I'm more indifferent. I'm not really concerned about the pitching. I think the that pitching coach was the least of my worries and I'm sure they were the least of your worries too. Yeah. Um as far as Jose Oquendo, I think based on everything that the Cardinals have done this off season so far, you'd have to say it's a win for them. Um, And I think the biggest reason why is because the fans are happy. Um, Because I think, you know, as you probably saw on Twitter, like I did, you know, everybody was very upset. I was upset. You know, obviously I, you know, I said I didn't even watch hardly any of the playoffs. But this is a good step in the right direction. It's, it's the right move, and, it's, and it comes at maybe a little bit, you know, later than we wanted to, but it's a move nonetheless. And, and seeing Willie McGee on the team again is going to be great for the team. And I think, you know, the day that Jose Okendo was announced, you know, Colton Wong sent out a tweet, and, you know, he was just so excited, and I quoted that tweet, and I was like, wow, this doesn't really say it you know, for the players. Yeah. You know, you could you can see it themselves that they are excited for Jose Okendo to be back. And and I think again that just speaks volume to the type of move that this really is. So time will tell what happens with the co- uh the uh the coaching changes and, and we'll see how that impacts the club. But I can only see it as a positive for the team and I think I think you would agree with that, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's go ahead and let's get going with other off-season news. And I do want to cover Lance Lynn just a little bit. And I did share a tweet with the group not too long ago. And it was John Moselak's comment on Lance Lynn. And I'll, I'll say it out loud, and I'm going to get your thoughts, Dan. And then we'll kind of have a discussion with that, too. Moselak was on, you know, on radio this, uh, this today, and this is what he had to say about Lance Lynn. I think he's going to be a tougher fit for us, but things change. Things happen. Not a priority for us at this time. Dan, I took away some major points from that, but I want to hear yours first. What do you
1: got? Well, my first reaction is, what does this mean as to the most immediate move that the Cardinals will be forced to make this offseason? And what I'm referring to, of course, is the decision whether or not to give Lance Lynn a qualifying offer. If it's not a priority for us at this time, does that mean he's not getting a qualifying offer? You know, if it's a tougher fit for us, is it a tougher fit on a one year, $17.4 million deal? Or is it just a tougher fit to re-sign him longer term? Which makes a little bit more sense. Uh, my, my other reaction is, I'm not surprised by this news. Um, it, it appears to me to be a little bit premature, Um, But then again, it's smart because Mo knows that if not the Cardinals, who know Lance Lynn the best, they have the most information on him, then who will offer him the most money? Well, one of the most powerful financial teams in the market has effectively taken itself out of the bidding for Lance Lynn through Mo's comments that you just quoted. So who's left? Well, there are several teams left looking for a starter, but the market's certainly driven down. And if you believe any of the whispers out there about the deal Lance Lynn might get, I saw the most recent report today was four years, fifty-six million dollars. So my final point in reacting to this is, if Lance Lynn is available for four years and fifty-six million dollars, then Moselyak should be impeached for not signing him for that, because that that is a ludicrous discount. For a guy who I have said over and over again is just as good as Sonny Gray and is better than a lot of the different options that people were talking about trading for or signing, he's certainly better than Alex Cobb, which is a name I hear a lot. And the guy throws a lot of innings. He throws 180 innings. Mark it. That's what he's going to give you. And the guy's a good team leader. So I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised by this quote from Maziliak. I wonder what it might mean other than just not signing him to a long-term deal. What did you think about it? Yeah, you know,
0: it depends on how you take this, right? You can take it literally. You know, you could take his words for what they are, or you can can go the figurative route and, and figure out what he's trying to say. You know, when he says, I think he's going to be a tougher fit for us, I think that's Mosaylock pretty much – I'm going to – I took it literally, and I think maybe that's how you took it too, but I take it as what Mosaylock is saying is we're not signing him. Yeah. I think his time in St. Louis is done, and that's unfortunate because I agree with you. I think the Cardinals would, should, would be fools not to re-sign him, especially – if it's that if it's worth 56 over 4 years cuz that only comes out to 14 million a year so even cheaper than the qualifying offer so at that point why would you not sign him for that much right um but i think it's his time is done in st louis and I, and i don't want it to be um but then he goes and says but things change things happen so he's trying to plant that seed of like, well, maybe, may, it might happen, but we're not really worrying about it because then he says, not a priority for us at this time. So then when does it become a priority? When When is starting pitching a priority? Because later on in that same interview, he says the team needs are big, big bat, closer, 1 and 1A, and then something else, and then starting pitching. And so are the Cardinals not looking for starting pitching? I, I don't, you know, there's no there is no reason why they shouldn't be looking at starting pitching. You can never have too much of it. But if you're going to tell me that Lancelin can be signed for $14 million a year for the next four years, which means he'll be, what, Thirty six, thirty five, thirty six by the time that deal's over. Boy, that's the Cardinals being cheap. You know, we complain about it all the time that the Cardinals never spend money, or the Cardinals don't do this. That's being cheap. That is he's that 30. cannot happen. Yeah. He's thirty, so he'll be he'll be thirty-four. <laughs> right? Thirty four, thirty-five, right? So, I, I mean, it makes no sense to me. And, and this is a conversation I had way, way long ago when the uh, when the trade deadline passed. I wrote three articles about Lance Lynn and this entire situation. And what amazed me when I was going through my findings, you know, my investigating, is that Lance Lynn obviously wasn't pitching to his potential, you know, and we knew that, but the guy was coming off the Tommy John surgery. So you're telling me that you're going to, you're just going to say, Hey, you know what? Thanks for all that you've done, but we're not really going to keep you because, you know, this is, this is it. You're done. And we're going to be very cautious because we don't know what you're going to do after one year of Tommy John. I think that's, that's crazy to me. So, the way I saw it was is that if the Cardinals weren't going to trade him, the least that they should do, and I'm 99.9% confident they will do is offer him a qualifying offer because they're not going to let somebody like Lance Lynn just go. And on the event that Lance Lynn does sign that qualifying offer, you take it and you run with it and then you, and then you trade him in the in the next deadline
1: that's what you do that's well I'll tell you you if they to. if they offer the qualifying offer and he accepts there's no going back you know it's a valid right. contract at that point so they're locked yeah. in and and i think and i think the cardinals would benefit from it 17
0: million 14 million isn't that big of a jump the benefit for the cardinals is that what if he has a really terrible 2018 or they are kind of in the same waters that they were this year, not sure if they're going to make the playoffs. You have every bit of a reason to keep, keep this trade deadline cycle going and try and move him again and get something out of it. So I, I saw that report, $56 million, That's really low-balling to me. I, I truly don't think he's, he, he's going to get that. I think he'll get more. I think predicted that he was going to get in the 80 to 100 million dollar range for five years yeah that sounds um, right right i I think it's more reasonable and it's slightly above the 17 it's slightly above qualifying offer value or uh, annual or average annual value so i I think it's low-balling and i'm not too sure but what it tells me this quote tells me is that st the st louis cardinals will not resign Lance Lynn and it's a shame, but as you said, not a surprise. You got
1: anything else to add to that? Only one thing, and that's if sure. uh if, if I'm Lance Lynn and my agent does not get me at least the Mike Leak deal, then he's fired. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Again, and that's yeah, all I, I completely said. agree. I completely agree, and that and that was for our listeners. That was a five-year, eighty million dollar contract. Exactly. So, and that and that's kind of where I'm basing my. That's where I based my guess off of. Uh, I tried to project his numbers, and I, I just think he will command a, a greater average salary than fourteen million a year. And whoever picks him up on that kind of a deal, forget you know, it. They just stole a really great pitcher for for cheap.
1: So, I'll tell you my, my prediction on where he'll go before we move on is that Lance Lynn yep, yeah, yeah. is going to go to the Atlanta Braves. That, that, that would be, that wouldn't surprise team. me.
0: That would not surprise me. I think if Lance Lynn you know I'm still kind of holding out just a tiny bit that he's going to resign, but I, I I'm pretty convinced that he won't. But if I had to say that he's going to go somewhere uh, I could see the Yankees making a run at him. I really do. They're, I mean, they need the starting pitching. Michael Pineda is going to be out for an extended period of time. He's going to miss most of the next season, so they're going to need the starting pitching to to, uh, to compete in the AL East, and look how far they got this year. Uh, whether that was flukish or not, they were in the ALCS, so they were a win away from, from being in the World Series, and and making the media giants very pleased, but they're going to need it. So I think the Yankees are going to be a a big player for Lance Lynn and and we'll see where it goes from there. So that being said, let's go ahead and move on to the next topic of free agency that I would like to discuss. And that is the search for the big bat. Now Mosaic said it was top priority and it better be, at this point we've heard the names we've gone through this list so many times i don't want to really even cover the names anymore <laughs> i just want to ask you dan does this actually happen will the cardinals find their big bat?
1: yes so uh, unfortunately one of the candidates is already gone right and what i'm referring to is uh, justin upton for those who haven't seen the news signed an extension, or re-signed, if you will, with the Angels for what what ends up being a five-year, 106 million dollar addition, uh, or you know, a total seven-year, 150 million dollars on his Tigers slash Angels deal, um, which, by the way, is probably the 7150 about what JD Martinez could expect to to bring in. Now, the benefit of a guy like JD Martinez if the Cardinals were to go that route, is he doesn't come with any compensation tied to him because he was traded in the middle of the year. Mm-hmm. There, are no, there are no picks attached to him. So unlike Dexter Fowler signing, you don't lose a draft pick, which is great. It's just money. And if there's one thing I've heard this team shout over the rooftops over and over again, it's that we have money to spend. Big TV deal starting up soon, billions of dollars. Ballpark Village is a cash cow, and we have 3 million fans a year like clockwork. The team has a ton of money, and they've refused to spend it. So if you really want to just spend money, you go out and sign J.D. Martinez. The problem is the hypocrisy point comes back again because the team has repeatedly stated that it wants to improve its defense and that it doesn't want to sacrifice its defense by prioritizing the offense. Uh, That was the team two years ago. And so J.D. Martinez is garbage in the outfield. I mean, I think everybody knows that by all of the defensive metrics. He's at best been average in his career, and recently he's been somewhere between terrible and bad. But, God, the guy can hit. The guy just mashes, and he's always hit. And he doesn't strike out as much. He's a good contact hitter. So, you know, I think that would be a good option, but I don't see the Cardinals doing it. I'm I'm a big believer that they're going to go get Stanton. I mean, I know everybody wants to talk about it a million ways. What's it going to cost? How do you do it? Will he waive his no trade? There are a million questions. But I'll tell you, when a team is motivated to move a player and another team has the ability to absorb – financial contributions into the distance that Giancarlo is owed, those deals have a tendency to happen. The no trade clause works itself out in various ways, and it, those deals get done. And I think what Jeter, as a new GM, CEO, whatever his title is of, of, the, of the Marlins, we'll find out quickly, is it behooves him to have a good relationship with John Mozeliak, And the reason for that is the Cardinals are bubbling over at various positions with talent at, the, at different levels of the minors. And we've got a roster logjam, and they've got a lot of pieces that they're going to be selling off, not just now, not just Giancarlo, but over the near future. And that's a phone number he's going to want to save in his favorites. So I could see this deal coming together, and that's my prediction. The Cardinals will get Giancarlo Stanton this offseason.
0: And that's great. I mean, you can't really ask for a bigger name to come to the St. Louis Cardinals. But before I give my reaction to what you just said and what I think is going to happen, we're going to take another quick break. You're listening to the official Redbird Rants podcast, episode 36. Stick with us. Welcome back to the official Redbird Rants podcast. I'm Tito here with Dan. We are going to continue our conversation about the search for the Big Bat. And my question to Dan was will the Cardinals actually do it and get that big bat? And Dan said yes, and it's going to be John Carlos Stanton one way or another. So here's where I, I, I come in. And I think, yes, I think the Cardinals are going to get a bat, but with so much confusion going around, it's just hard to say who. And I think one clue that kind of gave it away or that gives us an assumption of what we can expect is earlier this offseason, John Mosaic was on the Kevin Wheeler show and he said that the big bat was going to arrive via a trade and there's only two names really that stand out to me that the Cardinals have seriously discussed that would involve trades, and that's Josh Donaldson and Giancarlo Stanton. You can say Christian Yelich. You can say Marcelo Zuna, but those, you know, they might be impact bats, but they're they're not the caliber of Josh Donaldson and Giancarlo Stanton. They're not the kind of you know, star power, I should say, of Giancarlo or Josh Donaldson. So, it really becomes to me a question of where do the Cardinals prioritize? If you ask me, their biggest need is in right field, and then third base, and then first base. Actually, probably right field, first base, and then third, if we're going to be really honest. So, what do you do if Giancarlo is the only right fielder that you're willing to risk it all for? Then the Cardinals should have should be shouldn't hold no bars to it. It should be a go all out for it. And I want Giancarlo Stanton on this team. And if they're going to do that, they're going to have to be willing to pay the price. Yes, it's going to cost you some prospects, and yes, you're going to have to eat money. But Dan, as you said, they've got money, and they've got prospects. So I'm expecting this deal to get done one way or another as well, and I think it will be Stanton because that's the biggest need. Now, would I be surprised, though, if the Cardinals balk at Stanton and say, you know what, it's going to cost us too much, I'd rather get Josh Donaldson and try and sign him to a contract extension? It wouldn't surprise me about that because he's that good. I mean, he is a former MVP candidate, and he can play and he can be and he can be a good third baseman. But then the problem becomes, as you alluded to, is that roster jam. What do we do with everything else? And obviously somebody's gonna to have to go and return to Toronto, but then it becomes a debate on whether you would like Colton Wong or Jed Jerko at second, or even Matt Carpenter for that matter. And I think the no the notion out there among front office is that there's no reason why people think that Matt Carpenter is gonna get moved. So you can probably throw his name out of the ring. So you're really stuck between Colton Wong and Jed Jerko in this trade off when if Josh Donaldson becomes a St. Louis Cardinal. But if I had to guess, it has to be Stanton. I mean, all signs are pointing to the Cardinals saying, Hey, we're going after him. And, of course, everybody and their mother is also in on Stanton because why wouldn't you be? Look, I mean, look what he did this year, 270 with 59 home runs or whatever it was, 100-something, uh, 100 120, 130 RBI. Why wouldn't you want that on your team? So I'm in agreement with you, Dan. I just, for some reason, I think the Cardinals are going to be a little apprehensive about it. What do you think?
1: Yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing is the Cardinals have to decide, well, who do I want more? Uh, you know, Stanton is what, 27, 28? He's 26, 26, okay. 27. He'll be, okay. he'll be 29,
0: 30 by the time his opt-out happens in 2020. Okay. Which, okay. which is not even that far away. I mean, it's far away, but it's not that far away. But,
1: it, but it's far away enough that the Cardinals
0: shouldn't be apprehensive of going to get him.
1: Well, fair enough. Now, I think the deal is structured such that it highly discourages him not to opt out. It's obviously possible, and he'll have that flexibility, depending on how much money's in the game and what's going on. But the Cardinals have to decide, who do I want? Do I want Giancarlo Stanton? Do I want Manny Machado? Or do I want Bryce Harper? Because you can't have more than one, probably. And so... You have to decide who you want. Now, the problem with the other two guys is there's no guarantee that they will be free agents. They could sign extensions with their teams, you know, like Steven Strasburg did with the Nats when everybody thought he was going to be the best free agent pitcher available. That's very possible. Now, those guys are going to be 26 years old whenever they hit free agency at the end of next season. And speculation is they're going to command between 350 and $400 million. So if you look at it that way, with no guarantee that they will be free agents at all, and their asking price being higher than Giancarlo's already locked-in-stone contract, then they're more expensive pieces, and you're definitely going to be in a bidding war with someone, uh, not to name names, but probably the Dodgers and or Yankees and or Red Sox for these guys who can muscle up, and Cubs, and spend with the best of them, uh, by the way, Bryce Harper said he, his number one choice would be the Cubs right now. And right. the benefit of a John Carlos Stanton, and I know that there's the no trade clause, so setting that aside, is the market is effectively a market of, of one. Whoever offers the best package to the Marlins, not to Stanton, to the Marlins, can have him. That's compelling. Because the teams value things differently than a free agent player. And so what I see is some sort of creative solution here where the Cardinals increase the prospect package by a little bit. So they give some, you know, you're going to lose one of Flaherty or Hudson, I think, to make this deal happen. And you're going to lose a young outfielder. You have to lose one of them. And uh, potentially an Alcantara as well. Uh, But what I think I see happening is – the Marlins giving back to the Cardinals Martin Prado, okay, who's owed about fifty million bucks on his deal, and because we're going to take on the fifty million owed to Prado, we'll offset that by reducing by forty or fifty million bucks the back end of the Giancarlo Stanton deal. So meaning that in years nine and ten of the ten years remaining on that deal, the Marlins would be on the hook for $25 million per year of his salary should he choose to not opt out. Now, that is a gamble by the Marlins that they'll have that future money on the books, but the present value value of money is important, and getting rid of two big contracts at once is appealing. And the future obligation uh, that... You might have to pay $50 million in 2024 and 2026 or whatever it is. Uh, Is a risk worth taking, especially if you get a couple prospects with a lot of years of control back from the Cardinals? So that's where I see this deal shaking out. It's a double salary dump. It mitigates the risk for the Cardinals because the long-term exposure, should he not opt out, uh, is lessened. And Martín Prado becomes your sort of Jed Jerko type, and you've got to figure out what to do with the rest of the guys after that. You got to declutter the roster uh, through other deals, but that's where I think something like this goes, and that's that's how it could work. Yeah, that the, the opt out for John Carlos
0: Stanton is the biggest wrench I think in this entire situation because after 2020, you know, you know he'll be what. 30 at that point 2930 he's still going to command quite a bit if he does out, opt out and and that's where i think the cardinals have to be careful because you don't want to overpay in prospects for somebody that could potentially leave you in 3 years you would prefer him to stay but at the same time you don't want to take on the entirety of that contract because it is a lot of money and at that point you're kind of hamstrung by the money and you can't do as much as you intended to in year in, in the future. And so I, this is, this is the fine line of baseball. This is the business aspect of it that I think a lot of fans truly just say, you know what? I don't really care. Just do whatever you can do to get him. But it's just way more complicated than that. And, and I think that's where we take, for granted some of the deals that Moselak has been able to pull off and the contracts that he's been able to sign players to. And so it, it, it is a fine line, and and I'm not sure how they're going to do it. I don't know what kind of package the Marlins are looking for, you'd have to assume starting pitching is the focal point, and you would have to assume one of Bader or Magnere sierra is going to go in that kind of a deal uh, and I'd hate to see either of them go but at the same time I'm trying to stick with the mentality that the Cardinals cannot afford to continue to not be in the postseason if they want to be relevant for future free agents such as a Manny Machado. Uh, Bryce Harper will probably never sign for the St. Louis Cardinals um, and I and I think that's just Purely out of, I think he just hates St. Louis because of what they've done to the Nationals in the postseason. Um, so, I just I, you have to make a conscious effort and a decision. If you do make that decision to go for Stanton, you you just can't have any regrets. You just go with it. And and here's the thing: that player opt out in 2020. Let's say he has a bad 2019 and decides, you know what, I'll stay. You know what you said about present value of money is, is true. At that point it kind of works in favor for the Cardinals because what three hundred and twenty five million today is not what it is in two or in in five years. And right? mm-hmm. I think we all know that because of inflation and, and the cost of, of money. Yeah. And so you know, you're probably looking at three hundred and twenty five million dollars being a five hundred million dollar deal. And so Technically, if you want to look at it this way, the Cardinals actually might come out ahead, but that's all relevant on what they do now and if they can stay relevant within the National League. Because I tell you what, a, third, a missing a postseason for the third time in a row, which has not happened in almost a century of Cardinals baseball, um, would be devastating, would be catastrophic for this organization.
1: It's it's unacceptable. And two quick follow-ups to what you said, and that's that the Cardinals, when they're doing their risk analysis of not the dollars, but the prospect package that has to go to Miami for this deal to be made, they have to assume that he's going to opt out in 2020 when they're evaluating the amount of talent they're willing to give up because the nature of the dollars involved – and the no trade clause and the amount of years involved on this deal actually gives the buyer leverage. So, right. you know, they have to say, what would we do for three years of an MVP caliber player, one of the best offensive players in the league? What would we give up for that for three years if it's just that deal, if we assume he opts out? And that, that's still quite a bit. And frankly, first of all, I don't think he would opt out just because he's not going to get as many years at age 30 as he would uh, as the seven remaining years on his deal at that time. That's my thought. He's not going to get a seven-year contract. He's at most going to get five or six. Maybe, maybe he'd get more, but uh, you know, he would decide that at the time. But the Cardinals have to be cool with him walking at, at, in 2020, and it might behoove them – for him to walk. I mean, we don't know who's going to be around then and what, what's going to be going on, how he'll be doing. We'll see. But even if he opts out, nothing prohibits the Cardinals from re-signing him. That happens all the time. Players opt out and their current team re-signs them for a little bit more money. It just happened with Justin Upton. It happened in recent memory with CC Sabathia and the Yankees. So, even if he opts out, it's not doomsday. It's it's a second chance to reevaluate the position of the team. But this team has to make a splash. This is the biggest and best move available. These guys don't become available. They just don't until they're in their early right. to mid 30s. You gotta go get them. I mean, look look how old Albert Pujols was whenever he signed his mega deal. Exactly, he was 32.
0: Yeah, and so and look <laughs> and look how that's turned out. But anyway, I mean that you make a great point. You know, it it just it is the best move available to them. Again, it's just will they pull the trigger? And that's why I asked, you know that first question: Will they actually do it? I mean, it's it's easy to sit here and say, yeah, Cardinals go do it, but it's another thing for them to actually make the move and make it happen. And you know what? It'll be really interesting to see what that prospect package will look like for Stanton. Um, And if anything, I'm hoping that the Cardinals can pull another heist like they did with trading Mike Lee to Seattle and getting off the books for a lot of that contract. Yeah. I'm hoping that's what happens. Um, and, And again, that's, you know, that's what I was talking about earlier. Some of the moves that we take, you know, take for granted, you know, you, you take away all that money from Mike Leek's deal and, and maybe they do save that up for a closer. And speaking of closers, let's go ahead and get into that topic and and talk about that for the next couple minutes before we wrap up here tonight. Dan, the, the names that have been floated around Greg Holland, Wade Davis, even Juan Nicasio is it imperative that they sign the best closer or is it somebody that you know you can just rely on that it's going to get you saved
1: great question Um, I don't think it's imperative that they sign the best closer but I think it's financially responsible and prudent so I I just wrote a piece on this I hope you guys will take some time to check it out that the Cardinals can afford for less money than it would cost to sign J.D. Martinez, for example, uh, or a Hugh Darvish, for example. $134 million, and and I was on the large side of the estimates, the Cardinals can sign all of, all of Wade Davis, Greg Holland, Addison Reed, and Juan Nicasio, all of them, for two to four years each. Go do it. Spend the money. Shorten the game. Relieve the burden on these young starters that we're going to put such a heavy load on because you don't want Lance Lynn back. He doesn't fit in your plans. So relieve the burden on these young guys by shortening the game with experienced relievers who are still performing at a high level and don't cost you anything but money. If the Cardinals were to take an alternative approach and sign some of these B-level, second-tier option guys they may as well save their money and not sign anybody because it's not going to be an improvement over the current bullpen. So I don't want to see anything like that. I want to see them go bold or just rely on the young guys internally, have Sandy Alcantara close out games and Sam Tui Viala set them up because I don't want them to half-ass this approach. I want them to go all out and put their money where their mouth is. But but what do you think?
0: I think – I'll answer my own question and say, I think it is actually imperative to go sign the best closer they can at the time. Um, and the reason I say that is, is because I'll, I'll go back to the, one of the stats that I've thrown out a couple times on podcasts: 35 blown saves in the last two years. 35, and that's more than enough games for us to be able to cover both of our playoff, you know, egg, or uh, both of our playoff misses. By a long shot. Great point. And I just I can't imagine that the St. Louis Cardinals don't look at that and say, "Man, if we would have just bucked up and say, you know, spent a little bit more, we could have been in the playoffs and hell, we might have been able to win the whole damn thing." And now that remains to be seen, and you, you can't really plan for that. But that's where I'm at. That's how I see it. I, I I just think the Cardinals need to just say, you know what? We need quality arms in the back end of the bullpen. We'll build from the closer role down. And if Wade Davis is there and you can get him, go get him. Now, it's going to be tough because you're going to compete with the Cubs and some other teams. But if Wade Davis is saying, hey, you know what? I want to go to St. Louis. I want to be a St. Louis Cardinal. Make it happen. Make that deal happen. Because you're not gonna get another chance to sign somebody like Wade Davis for a really, really long time. Because the Cardinals don't have anybody like that in their in their farm system. So that's that's just gonna that's gonna how it's gonna have to be. And you know, I like Addison Reed. I think he would be serviceable, but in the interest of money. I think you also have to give Juan Nicasio another chance to be a setup guy. And I think you bring him back on a two-year, $18 million deal and see where it goes from there. It's it's relatively cheap to what you'll get for Wade Davis. I know that. Agreed. And, and I'm not sold on Greg Holland, <laughs> not one bit whatsoever. But I know he's good. So, I mean, if Davis isn't there and you've got a chance to get Holland, you just the Cardinals just have have to get the best closer they can at that time and that's it that's just how it goes so i think we just have to kind of take it from there and and see where this goes so so dan we've run out of time and it goes by so quick when you've got great topics and great conversation so i want to thank you and i want to thank all our listeners for listening to us You are listening to the official Redbird Rants podcast, episode 36. For Dan, I'm Tito. We'll see you next time, and go Cards.